G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode. Today I'm here discussing everything AFL Fantasy. Uh, fingers crossed, I think I've resolved my screen recording issues. However, I am not going to run the gauntlet and risk it because uh, if it goes pear-shaped again, there's a high likelihood that I'll toss my laptop off the balcony, but I am going to record a podcast. So I am here to talk everything mid-price madness at the moment. I just hit publish on an article looking at uh, just a tick over 20 dudes in the 400 to 600 grand price range. Um, Some of them more popular than others, but I tried to cover all the popular guys with high ownership. Some of them in my team, some of them I'm high on that aren't in my team, and some of them that I'm just flat out don't have a lot of hope in. So if you want to check that out, you can head to the Sports by Fry website. I also included in that article a Q&A section. A few people got back to me on Twitter and Instagram and I think one from Facebook uh, with a couple of questions. So thank you to those people. Um, I plan on doing many more Q&A sessions, uh, podcasts, article form, etc. throughout AFL season. So if you've got a question, feel free to hit me up on your preferred form of social media just by looking at Sports by Fry. I'm not going to cover all the players I talked about in the article today. Like I said, if you want to check them all out, you can have a squiz. But I'm going to just talk about a couple of dudes who I think are important, um, highlighting maybe two or three at each position, and then talk through some of the questions and answers. So without further ado, let's dive in. Kicking things off, I'm going to look in the back line. There is a couple of Pretty popular picks in the mid-price bracket in the back line. Zach Williams is top of the food chain, I guess you could say. Callum Mills, Brody Smith, there's a few others in there. But the first bloke I'm going to talk about is Luke Ryan. He technically just qualifies as a mid-pricer at a tick over 550k after averaging 77 a year ago. But there is a chance that he can push that average closer to 90. Warney wrote a piece in the preseason talking about how many kick-ins that Ryan liked to have, and he had 107 last year for the Dockers, which was actually the fourth most in the comp. So he should benefit from this new kick-in rule as long as he ventures outside the square. He only kicked one of those 107 to himself last year, so if he stands stagnant in the square, he probably won't chalk up as many disposals. But if he does say, what's that, 107... Hopefully plays about 20 games. It's an average of five a game. Let's say he takes three of them outside the square. There's a potential 10-point boost there for Luke Ryan. Um, astonishingly for his career, 70% of all his disposals have come as kicks. So there's the type of player that you like to have in your fantasy side. I had him late last year. He was good intercept marker as well, which is another positive. So I'm pretty bullish, and he's actually coming into calculations a little bit, is Luke Ryan. Like I said, does come at a little bit of a hefty price, priced at about 77 so he gets a tick of approval for me, but not in my side at the moment. Next up is Swan's young gun Callum Mills, who's a little bit cheaper, 522 grand. Callum Mills will set you back, and he's another dude handed with that famous more midfield time tag. If I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say more midfield this pre- more midfield time this preseason, I swear to God I could retire. Regardless, I think there's a few dudes in that bracket of defenders who could be in for a little bit of boost. Uh, Andrew McGrath is another one from the Bombers who is expected to play more midfield time, but I'm a little bit sceptical over how much midfield time uh, Callum Mills will get. We have seen him in the past come off the halfback flank and he's done fine and... Paul Slongmeyer, the Swans coach, I think just yesterday, 
came out with a quote saying that they love what Mills provides off the halfback flank, which if you don't trust uh, Longmire like the majority of fantasy coaches, you can translate that to he'll be staying on the halfback flank. There's no real sample size of, or I guess you could say midfield time at all, really, to go off to tell us what we could expect from Mills. So I'm still hesitant. I don't blame you if you want to pull the trigger. There is a chance with Luke Parker not looking the same and JPK on the decline and Dan Hanabry gone that Mills does slot in and take a few of those minutes, but there's probably not enough upside for me to warrant selecting him, so he's a pass for me. Another defender still in that similar price bracket around the 550 mark is Nick Newman of the Carlton Blues now, not the Sydney Swans. He's been freed from the uh, horse Longmire shackles and it's really tough to predict what we can expect from Nick Newman in 2019. I will definitely be watching him with a close eye in the JLT series just to see what his role is. If Carlton decide to give him a similar role to what he had with the blue, uh, with the Swans rather, then he could push up into the wing a little bit. He could be, you know, hovering around the 80s as an average, which is pretty solid. You know, you take that for sure. He did 85 from memory in his first year with Sydney, and then dipped a little bit last year. So, yeah, he maybe even could push up as a top six Smokey for uh, defender, as top six defender Smokey, I should say, because he's got the fantasy ceiling to produce big scores. So. With Doherty out, someone might like to step up into that role. I don't have super high hopes, and he's, like I said, not in my side, but I'll be keeping a very close eye over him on the JLT and see if he can come into calculations, that's for sure. Flipping my attention into the midfield, I might be a little bit too high on this guy, but I am all over Anthony Miles at the moment. I understand that Gold Coast's going to be on the end of some heavy defeats in 2019, and there's every chance that he's probably only going to average about 75 or maybe even in the lower 70s, but he's priced at 58.5 at the moment. Costs you 425 grand. He's currently sitting at M5 for me, and I think he can go 20, maybe even, oh yeah, 20 points is ambitious, but look, we've seen him score over 85 for three separate seasons. You know, when he's getting games for Richmond, he's been delivering and his job security is going to be pretty high at the Gold Coast, that's for sure. I know that, like I said, there's a little bit of scepticism over how well Gold Coast can score if they're on the end of some drubbings, but after only playing six games in the last two years, he managed a couple of scores over 90 and had a 78 in his only 2018 game. So he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I actually am very, very keen on Anthony Miles. If I can wiggle a few pieces around, he might even slot into M6 for me. I try not to have more than one mid-pricer in every line, and the rucks usually I'll go with two set and forgets, which I'll talk about in a minute, but defense we can probably oh, maybe afford to take a little bit more of a gamble. So if you do take a punt on one mid-pricer, not only is Miles potentially the cheapest, it's only about nine grand difference from Hanbury, I might add, but I do think that Miles seems like the safest money maker in my eyes. The bloke who I covered in my article after Anthony Miles is none other than Tom Rockliffe. No player in the history of JLT will be under more of a watch than Tom Rockliffe because I reckon if he starts looking tackle happy like the Rocky of old, then people will snap him up quickly. I don't know if I'm ballsy enough to take the risk. He's a bit awkwardly priced. He just managed to crack into the article at 600k exactly, so... I don't know if I have enough room in my midfield to slot that type of player in, but 
if it's Rocky, you know, you've seen what we know what he can do in the past. He's priced at about 83. There's every chance that he can go to 100, 105. Especially if Ollie Wines is out for a couple of weeks, he might start the year like a house on fire. But yeah, his JLT uh, performance will be very telling. He's not in my side, but look, I'll be honest, I can be easily swayed. Already touched on Dan Hanabry a little bit, pointing out that he's nine grand dearer than Anthony Miles, clocking in at 434k. And for me, I just can't do it. I don't, I don't trust Dan Hanabry's body. I know that we get two trades every week, and that there's potentially serious value there. But after watching him score under average under 60 in his 14 games last year, I think that there's just safer picks out there. Brad Crouch is another one who kind of fits in this mold, who I'm humming and harring over. He's about 50% for me at the moment. But turning my attention back to Hannah's, there's no guarantee that he'll stay on the park. Already this preseason, we've heard about injury concerns. And look, he'll probably go out now and put 20 games of 80-point average up on the board. And that's fine if he does. Power to him. I don't wish any injuries upon him, but... Yeah, if, you, if you're taking the punt on him, go for it. I think he's in nearly oh, about 29% of teams at the moment. But yeah, Hannah's is just not for me. Brad Crouch, another potential injury worry. He'll be another JLT watch candidate for me. He did put one good season of 103 average up on the board in 2017. But this dude's barely played in 50% of his potential career games. So I, I don't know. These, these type of injuries concerns are a little bit... You know, this is where you get your risk and reward, right? You have to take a punt on Hanabry or Crouch to potentially reap the benefits. But someone like Miles, who's battled for position in a premiership Richmond side and now been shown the door. I know he was cut from, I think, GWS before that. But regardless, like, he doesn't have injury issues leading into this season, whereas Hanabry and Crouch kind of do. So, yeah, I'm leaning towards no with Brad Crouch. He could become my M5 and I could shuffle a few things around, though, because he's arguably got the highest upside of any of these mid-prices. Like I said, we've seen him score over 100 before. But yeah, hamstring injuries, groin issues last year, and a couple of, I think he had a fractured leg as well from memory. It just scares me away a little bit from Crouchy. Time to focus on a few Ruckman. The first one I covered in the article, and the one I'm going to talk about first, is Sam Jacobs. Big source from the Adelaide Crows. I don't really trust him, but look, there's... Not a lot of mid-priced options out there for the Ruckman. So if you're not up for paying for the likes of Maxi Gorn, Stefan Martin, and you don't really want to trust someone like Tim English, who I will cover next, then Source is a nice middle option. Had a down year last year. The whole Crows team did, though, let's be honest. So there's no reason why he can't push his average back in the high 80s. He's averaged over 80 in seven of his last eight seasons. So he's been super consistent for us. He is getting old. He'll turn 31 in this season, and fantasy numbers don't tend to work out for uh, Ruckman over the age of 30. But, you know, I, I kind of... I see the source argument. I give him the tick of approval, but like I said, he's not in my side. I have a little bit of a worry that Adelaide might try to usher in the likes of Riley O'Brien, give him a couple of games, which could potentially eat into big sources production, but that being said, he's been a pretty much safe 80. He should go back over 85. Hopefully he doesn't look clunky and old. I think someone made that joke on Twitter during the preseason, but I think his time trials and uh, fitness is back up to scratch, so hopefully if you are taking the punt on source, he can get back to that 85 plus average for you. I might die on this hill, but I am seriously considering Tim English as a legitimate op option. He's priced at 446 grand. And like I said, with risk comes reward. I know 
his uh, downsides. He's had some terrible games in the past. He had the same number of games scoring under 40 as he did scoring over 85 last year. So I need to see a little bit of consistency in the JLT and potential for me to really take the punt. But yeah, if he's going to be the dog's sole ruck, there's every chance that he can push up the standings and he can turn into a, a money-making play. There's no real safe option at R2, which is one of the questions that I did get asked. So I'll talk about that in a minute and discuss it in a bit more depth. But yeah, Tim English is priced at an average of sixty. Priced at an average of sixty-one point four. I genuinely think he can go over seventy, which is a little bit of upside. Seventy-five to eighty might be pushing it, but if he's the only ruckman for the dogs, he'll probably chalk up thirty hitouts. He likes to tackle. He's not afraid of taking a mark and a couple of kicks. So. Yeah, I think 70 is probably closer to what he'll achieve. He's not a long-term option, that's for sure. I'm kind of taking the punt on a uh, cheaper R2 so that I can kind of see how the Proust effect unfolds with Gorn and what Steph Martin looks like. But yeah, if he looks pretty good in the JLT series, Timmy English that is, then I'll be pretty tempted to lock and load. Touching on a few forwards before I get to Q&A, and there's two Hawthorne players that are very relevant in our forward lines. First up is Chad Wingard, who I'm sure I wasn't the only one. When we found out about Tom Mitchell's injury, he was slotted straight into the forward line for me. Then this little calf complaint surfaced and I started to have some doubts and deterred to other options. And yeah, I'm still a little bit divided on Wingard. I gave him the tick of approval and I think he's, I don't want to say a safe play, but I think he's a good option. He did average over 92 in his uh, contests after the bye last year. He famously came in for Selby and helped him almost win the comp. Well, virtually did win the comp. Still a, uh, <laughs> a tough talking point. But yeah, Wingard has top six forward upside. So there's not a lot of dudes you can say that about that are under 600 grand. Uh, Luke Dowhouse is someone else I talked about who you know might push his average into the high 80s. But Wingard's definitely going to get more midfield time than someone like Dowhouse. We hope and we assume. Again, I'll have to monitor him a little bit in JLT and see just where he lines up. But if he is in line for as much midfield time as the Hawks and fantasy coaches are kind of predicting, then uh, there's no reason why you can't bite the bullet and start with him as your second or third forward. And if you have one Hawk, why stop there? Why not have two? The second bloke is James Warple, who is pretty much locked in at F4 for me right now, barring anything crazy. 480k, he'll set you back, so he's cheap as chips. He dominated their match simulation, which all these things need to really be taken with a grain of salt in the preseason, but he's got fantasy upside. He's set to regularly feature in their midfield. He averaged from memory 66 last year, about that. So if he can up that, then there's no reason why the Warpedo won't be a reliable moneymaker. I don't know. I don't think he's, it would be a bit stupid to think if he could be in top six calculations. Yeah, 66 he's priced at, exactly. So... I think yeah, 80 might be pushing it, but making a bit of money and having some decent scores tick through could be what Warple produces. He's only had nine AFL games, so it's really tough to pigeonhole exactly what he's going to do in 2019, but I'm all over the Warpedo, and uh, I think you should be too. Just quickly before I dive into some questions, uh, the deck of DT on the Dream Team talk site is now finished. Last piece got written today by Roy, I think from memory, on Tom Rockliffe. Uh, he was, actually, yeah. I'm trying to think if that was yesterday or today. So make sure you have a squiz at that. You can check out all 52 of the deck of DT cards at their website. I'm going to be doing a weekly 
article with my next one coming out a week from today before the JLT. It's pretty exciting. Um, I'm going to be covering the cash cows for the Fantasy Boys this year, which is a huge uh, responsibility, but one that I'm looking forward to and definitely excited about. So be sure to visit their website for more of my stuff throughout the year. But let me dive quickly into some questions. Again, thank you to the folks who hit me up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, etc. And if you've got questions, shoot them through, because like I said, I want to turn this into a, a regular recurring thing throughout the fantasy season. First up, Jacob Miller asked me through Twitter what my thoughts are on Cade Simpson. And as I dug through some numbers, I was pretty shocked to find that Cade Simpson had a lower ownership percentage than Shannon Hearn. And there's no offence to Bunger, he's the AFL premiership captain. I do love Shannon Hearn, but Cade Simpson is definitely a more reliable fantasy option. He's pretty much been good for 90, 95 maybe a bit over or a little bit under for a decade now. And until I see him stop doing that, I do like the looks of him. I think that he'll probably go down a little bit from what he's priced at right now. But that being said, there's no reason why he won't be a top six defender by the time the year's over. From memory, Cade Simpson will set you back about... Oh, hang on, where is the, the number? Can't find it. This is what happens when you try to uh, do the numbers on the fly when you didn't write them down. That's okay. I know that he's semi-expensive, so I do think that he'll dip slightly in value. But like I said, he should be a top six defender and should really be in all our sides by the end of the year. Next question came from Tom McDonald via Instagram. Asked me if I'm starting with Devin Smith. Funnily enough, after he asked me this question, I started doing a bit of shuffling to see if I could. Um, at the moment, I'm not. Uh, he's similar with the Cade Simpson case, and I think he'll be one of the position's best scorers this year. Some people are a little bit, myself included, worried about the how many minutes are going to go around in that Essendon midfield. But that being said, Devin Smith is a tackling machine. I don't know if he led the league in tackles last year, but if not, he was definitely in the top couple. So he should be a good for 100 again in 2019. Not a bad idea to start with him. He's priced at 105, so... I don't think he'll go much below that. I don't think he'll also go much higher than that. So, yeah, I might have to bring him into my calculations. But right now, I am not starting with Devin Smith. Connor Hackling asked via Instagram, Taylor Adams or Dustin Martin? Great question. Tough question. Uh, and I say, why not have both? Currently, Adams and Dusty are in my side at M3 and 4. And I think both of them can probably score 10 points over what they're priced at this season. If I had to go with one, I do think that the... 6-6-6 six, six, and six setup now benefits Dusty. He's probably going to be used in the midfield a bit more. But that being said, Richmond traditionally do have low fantasy scoring numbers. They have done for a couple of years now. So until I see that change a lot, I'm going to side with Adams. Generated a ton of buzz this preseason. Brody Grundy on the Traders podcast talked about how Adams is training the house down at the moment. So he's pretty much locked in for me. And if I had to pick one, I'd side with Taylor Adams. Even though there's a lot of players to eat in that Collingwood midfield, I don't think Adams will miss out. Gelms DT hit me up via Twitter and asked how I'm looking at tackling the R2 situation. And we're leaning towards saving some cash with an English or Jacobs or coughing up for a set and forget in Gorn. I've already kind of said my piece a little bit about English and he's probably... If I had to put a number on it, about 65 70% locked into my team at the moment, pending JLT, of course. But uh, paying up for a set and forget, it doesn't really seem, with the exception of Brody Grundy at the first ruck spot, of course, doesn't seem like the smartest attack at the moment. Max Gorn with Braden Pruce in tow and Steph Martin with a few little injury tweaks could go down quite a bit. I think both of them will hover around triple figures and probably top it, but... The guy that, if you're going to pay up for someone, I think is Toddy Goldstein, priced at 93, could 
probably hover around that for most of the season, should probably hover around that for most of the season, and may even push his average back up towards triple figures. He might go down slightly and be a high 80s player, but I don't think that'd be terrible considering how many other rucks and reliable R2s there are out there. So I really <laughs> wish I had the answer, but for paying top, top dollar for your second ruck spot, I don't think this is the year to do it. Bego asked me via Twitter if Jack Darling could be a legitimate AFL fantasy option. Maybe. Early last year, we saw that he burst onto the scene. He looked like a contested marking beast. Had, from memory, a 150. Had a couple of other tons. Looked pretty good until he injured his ankle in round 11, I want to say. Ballpark. But he did have those couple of injury-affected scores, which brought his price down a bit. If you take them away, he went at an average of almost bang on 85, including the finals last year. The AFL finals, not your fantasy finals. So... I don't know if he's worth paying up for at 550 grand. I think that his average of 76 is probably where he'll hover. Could push 80, but considering the value that I've already talked about in some of the other mid-priced forwards, I think that there's better options out there. Antonio asked via Instagram, could Crozier be a good pod? I don't know. I think that Crozier might be pushing it. He did kind of start the year pretty averagely last year. He averaged 51 points from his first seven games before the Dogs hit their bye. And he had a great second half of the year, and he averaged about 18 touches a game. But he's only got an ownership of 0.3% at the moment. So he is a a player of difference, which is what P-O-D stands for, pod, if you did not know. But I think it's too much of a gamble. There's other options out there that I am, well, not bullish on, that's not the right word, but that I prefer... He's priced at 73. Basher Hooley and Hamish Hartlett are two players that are almost priced exactly the same, and I'd probably rather roll the dice with either of them. And considering neither of them in my cal- uh, neither of them are in my calculations, I don't think Crozier should be in yours. Last question comes from Jesse Blair via Twitter. Would love your thoughts on backline structure. I currently have Jay Lloyd, Alex Witherden, Luke Ryan, Nick Newman, Zach Williams, and Sam Collins. Do you think that is too mid-price heavy? Look, if we're going to go in on mid-prices, defense is definitely the line to do it. Like I've talked about, the likes of Luke Ryan, Mills, Newman, Williams, they're all viable candidates. And there's probably a couple of others who I've covered in my article, but I'm blanking at now. But I, I, I don't know if going with that many mid-prices is the answer. Guns and rookies is the strategy that seems to work. And while I said before that it's, I like to kind of have one mid-pricer in every line, I am trying to traditionally lean more to that strategy. There's a lot of mature-aid recruits who can slot into our midfield and cover some spaces, but I think that going five deep could be too heavy. I don't know. It's a really tricky one. It's not for me, but there's probably not a huge problem in loading up your back line if that is the line you want to chase these mid-prices in. I don't know about Newman, who I've already talked about. Ryan, I like the looks of. Williams, yes, but it honestly comes up to a little bit of personal preference as to how you structure your team. Obviously, like I said, I'm going with a cheap second ruck. If you were to go with an expensive one, that might force you into something like playing five more more expensive defenders, I guess you could say. So it's not for me, but those guys do look set to make you a bit of money, and they do look set to score pretty decently. So it's not a terrible strategy at all. All right, that is going to do it. Thank you once again for tuning in. Next video will most likely be NBA orientated, uh, slash podcast, I should say. If you do have any questions, though, like I said, hit them up. I am going into overdrive with my preparation for AFL Fantasy. The JLT series starts next week. Big, exciting time in the AFL Fantasy circles. So 
Stay glued to sportsbyfry.com for more articles. Going to try and churn out a few other AFL articles after the weekend. Would love a rating and review on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the pod for more. Thank you for listening, though. Until next time, peace. Peace.